Welcome to Diving Into Diets. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Philip Lancaster, nutritionist here at Kansas State College of Veterinary Medicine. Hi, Philip. Hi, Brad. So this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about diets, and we'll focus some on the cows, some on calves, but we're going to dive into some of the specifics that will be recommendations or discussions of areas that you can help your clients with their diets and you can help them plan their rations. And today we're going to talk all about cool season grasses because cool season grass management, and we'll talk some specifics, but we want to get into how do I balance the quality, the quantity, and my labor resources. Yes. So Philip, let's jump in and tell me a little bit. I know there's some different strategies. We talk about managing cool season grasses and maybe give me some specific examples. When you say cool season grasses, what are some of the examples of the grasses you're thinking of? Well, the first one that usually comes to my mind is fescue, but there are several others. Depends on what part of the country that you're in. Uh, Brome grass and orchard grass are some specifics that are and used a lot more in certain parts of the country than fescue. So fescue, brome, orchard, timothy? Yeah, timothy. We don't use timothy too much for grazing because it's very grazing intolerant. And so we don't use it much in grazing. It works more as a hay crop. Okay. And so there are several sub-varieties there within. And, and you talked about being grazing intolerant. So one of the things that we wanted to get into today is if we have different grazing methods, and the common traditional is what we would call continuous grazing, right? We put the cows out in whatever size pasture and put them out in the spring and then at some point move them to a different pasture and move them off. Is that Would you say that's most common in the country or what's the most common pattern? That is probably the most common across the whole country. Different regions of the country that have a higher adoption rates of different grazing management practices than others, but continuous grazing is still the most common practice. And like you said, we're just, we're turning the animals, all the animals into the whole pasture. They get free roam access to everything until the grass runs out and we pull them off in the fall. And so the other options would be things like management intensive grazing, in which case I vary when they move based on timing, time of year, or a standard rotational grazing, which is I'm going to leave them in this pasture for May, then I'll move them in June or whatever that time frame is kind of preset. Are those the other options I've got? Yeah, there's lots of different options for grazing management. I kind of lump them into those three continuous versus a timed rotation grazing versus a management intensive grazing. And to me, the real difference between rotation and management intensive is the amount of management that goes into those different systems. So in a time rotation system, you have a preset time that I'm going to move cattle to paddock two from paddock one in seven days. And then in another seven days, they're going to move from paddock two to paddock three. And I have a set pattern of rotation and a set time frequency that I'm going to move them. And so it, it's easy to implement. It doesn't take a high level of management. So in most situations, it is not the most effective grazing management strategy. In some situations, it's not any better than continuous grazing. Okay, so depending on how you implement it, it may not give you much improvement. And when you're saying improvement, are you talking quality of forage, quantity of forage, or both? Because where this one's a winner is on the labor constraints, right? It's once a week, Saturday morning, I go out and move the cows, it's easy. Yes. So the benefits, I think there's there's two benefits. One is carrying capacity. That's the big benefits of rotational grazing. 
is trying to increase carrying capacity. Or if you get the same stocking rate, then you're increasing the grazing days or the grazing season, whichever way you want to look at it. And then managing quality or digestibility primarily of that grass. And we're trying to manage, and in that aspect, we're really trying to manage maturity. And so that's where the management intensive grazing comes in is because it is a higher level of management because you're not just going to move those animals from in a set pattern of rotation at a set time. You have to monitor the forage and you have to make a judgment call on rotating those animals to balance how much they're grazing, how much grazing pressure they're putting on a certain paddock, and how much nutrition those animals need for optimal performance. And so that pattern or that system needs to be different for old cows versus stalker calves. Okay, let's talk about some specifics. So on the management intensive grazing, I've got cool season grasses. Let's say I've got cows in there and they've got nursing calves or not, right? We're, we're springtime, the grass is growing rapidly. I put them in a paddock. How do I decide when I need to move those cows out of that paddock? They go in today. How do I know when they need to leave? So there's a couple of different things that we need to look at. One, we need to look at how much residue height is left in the paddock that they're currently in. We don't want to overgraze it. And with cool season forages, we're typically thinking we want to leave about three to four inches of residue height on average. Obviously, it's not going to be a perfect uniform carpet, but we, that's our kind of our goal. So how do you figure out if there's three to four inches left and where do you look in those paddocks to determine do i have to take measurements from several spots can i look from the truck do i have to walk through what are how do i manage that you're probably going to need to walk through to get a good look depending on how big the paddock is in in that type of situation but you're going to just look in general typically we're not measuring you maybe you want to have a forage stick and measure some to begin with if you're just starting this out so that you can kind of get an idea in your head of what three to four inches looks like you measure several spots or about halfway up your boot yeah yeah, there you go and so then it just becomes a, a judgment i mean a lot of this is very subjective it becomes a judgment of you're looking across that pasture walking or paddock and walking across there and you're eyeballing okay on average i think we're at about three to four inches or you know maybe there's certain spots that I don't want them to graze less than three or four inches. And so I'm going to move them off, even though the average is maybe five or six inches. Because the temptation many times, at least for me, has been I'm going to walk in to the paddock in the area that the cows are moving in and out of because that's where the gate is. And if I don't walk away from that area, that may be where they're moving in and out to water, higher grazing pressure in that area. So I have to walk around. The other thing is thinking about as you get a little bit later in the spring and into summer, what we're actually looking for is the height of the vegetative grasses, not where they've gone mature and you have those stems sticking up, right? Yeah. And so the other aspect that you want to pay attention to when deciding to rotate those animals is the next paddock. So our goal, especially in the springtime with cool season forages, they are going to mature very rapidly because they're going to reach maturity depending on where you are in the country, but in early summer, you know, or late spring, early summer. And so part of our goal is in this 
management system is to not let them get over mature. And so early in the spring, I may need to rotate those cows much sooner than three to four residual height in the current pasture so that I'm managing the maturity of the rest of the paddocks. You're trying to prevent those stems I was talking about. Yes, I am. I'm trying to keep that forage from getting too mature. And that's what is going to allow me to maintain a good quality forage that's going to provide the digestibility and energy that those animals need. Yeah, absolutely. And so then you say it's okay if I leave more in that pasture. It's kind of a minimum. I want to leave that three to four inches. But if I leave more, because I may need to move to the next pasture sooner rather than later. How many of these pastures do I need to have set up? So that is dictated by how long of a rest period you need. And so this is the tricky part with cool season forages because they get so much growth late in the spring, early in the summer, that it's very hard to get rotated across all of your paddocks and to maintain that vegetative state on that pasture. Because what I'm going to need later in the summer is I'm going to need more paddocks because I'm going to need a longer rest period because the growth rate of that forage slows way down when it gets really hot. And so they need longer rest period to recover. And so that's what's going to really dictate my paddocks. And so this becomes a balancing act really between spring and summer on these cool season forages where I need to rotate animals really fast in the spring, really often to try to keep those seed heads and that maturity down and knock the tops off of those. But then later in the summer, I've got to give them longer rest periods so that they can recover during that heat stress of that cool season plant. So it depends on my stocking density, how fast I can move them. Because here's the trade-off with labor, right? I mean, I could have small paddocks and be really efficient if they're in there for a day or even 12 hours. And I know some folks have tried to do some things like that, Mm -hmm. but that's highly labor intensive. Also, depending on how many cows I've got out there, I've used a rule of thumb in the past that an inch of forage, if you multiply that by 200, that's your dry matter per acre. Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, there's some formulas out there that you can look up to try to estimate how much forage is out there based on the height. And that works relatively well. You also got to remember that forage mass is a combination of height and density. Yes. That's exactly where I was going. And it will be way off if you have really dense forage or way down if we've had a dry year like this and and you have forage that's tall, but it's pretty sparse. Mm -hmm. And there's some formulas out there that make that adjustment. You have to make a judgment call of how dense that forage is in the pasture, kind of based on amount of bare ground that you can see and things like that. And then based on that, you use a different factor. So instead of if it's really dense, you would use a factor of three or 400 instead of 200. So that makes a a big difference. What makes a big difference? And then the nice thing is, well, I'm going to say the nice thing because we both work in education. The nice thing is you're graded on this because actually after you move them out of that pasture, you talked about I've got a regrowth period of typically 21, 24 days before I can go back in there, depending on what forage I'm dealing with. Well, if I come back in three weeks and I still have hardly any forage, I may have overgrazed. If I come back in three weeks and it's completely mature before I get back to it, I didn't take enough off. Is that a fair assessment or how would you assess how well you do? Yeah, the goal is to try to balance or manage plant maturity. And so, yeah, those are two ways to assess that you did poorly is if the forage is taking really long to regrow. I overgrazed it. I didn't leave enough leaf area out there for that plant to photosynthesize and to to get going again. Or I come back to it and there's a lot of seed heads and I got a really mature forage that's out there. And so 
from a cool season forage perspective, and I'm a lot more familiar with the fescue system, but one of the ways to manage that is because it grows so fast in the spring is that I have a certain set of paddocks that I will rotate through and graze in the spring, and the rest of them I'm going to use for my hay production. And then I'm going to let that hay, those hay paddocks regrow, and so now I've got more paddocks to rotate through much more slower through early summer and late summer so that I can give it more rest period. And that's one way to manage that maturity throughout the year. Well, the hard thing with the system you're describing, I think works really well, but you can't plan it out at the start of the year because we don't know rainfall. We don't know production. I don't know which of those I can make into hay and which of them I may have to graze depending on the year that you're going through. And the timing of how long they have to be in those paddocks may, depending on the size of the paddock and number of cows, may have to be evaluated daily. I may not have to move them today, but I may need to look at it every two, three, four days, depending on what it is. Yes, and that's the management intensive system more than the timed rotation works better because of that variability from year to year. You can't just do the same thing every single year. You've got to judge the plant. The plant will tell you kind of what it's got and what it's doing. And you use that as your measure of how many paddocks you need, how big they need to be, how often you need to rotate, those kind of things. Because that plant will adjust itself to the weather conditions. Yeah, and the cows will tell you too, but sometimes they lie. So, sometimes they're like, they just want to go to the next pasture. Yeah, and they, they also will take a little longer to tell you than the grass will in certain Oh, absolutely. Places. Yeah, so you have to watch that grass. The other thing, because I've in the past taken pictures like in and out of pastures at times. And it's kind of hard to keep track of, but I feel like that helped me learn a little bit about where I did well and where I maybe missed the mark a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also gives you some frame of reference to go back to from previous years. Okay. You know, what did this pasture look like last year at this time? And gives you some frame of reference to make adjustments based on the year and the weather conditions from year to year. Yeah, and I would like to say that I write stuff down and I keep track of which pasture they're in and out of, but I don't do a very good job at that. Is that something I should consider implementing? I don't know that that is a big benefit because if we're really doing it right, you're not going to do it the same way any two years. You're going to make the adjustments for that year. And so just to writing it down and try to follow a script is not going to be the best approach. So the one thing that... I do keep track of is total grazing days. And if I'm doing it well, and granted there's weather variations, if I'm doing it well, I should be able to be pretty consistent with that number if my stocking rate's the same, or hopefully improve it a little bit over time as I manage those pastures better. So total grazing days is certainly something to keep track of because the inverse of that is what we pay for. Total days I'm feeding hay or, or storing mm. forages. So thanks, Philip, for your discussion here on cool season grasses and grazing. Sounds like management intensive grazing is certainly an option on many of those areas to manage forage quality and quantity. It takes a little bit more labor. You talked about when to move them in and out of those pastures. So thanks.